listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. My name is Banas Sarami, your host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a pharmacogenomics medical science liaison and a mentor to pharmacists. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let's get a conversation going. If you have been listening to our podcast, you will know that we're mostly focused on learning the clinical and science behind PGX, since that's where the missing gap is in both for providers and pharmacists. There's a need for accessible genetic services, especially since we have so many commercial genetic testing and pharmacists want to take part in that role. So, and so to be able to see an increase in the use of PGX, there has to be a clear understanding for the need of it. And again, the science and the application for its adoption to happen. So that takes time to learn with hands-on practice. Um, So it's not gonna really happen overnight. In July 2019, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Health System launched a primary care precision medicine clinic that includes a primary care physician with training in genetics, a pharmacist specialized in pharmacogenomics, and two genetic counselors testing all in a primary care setting. The article that talks more about this has been published, which I'll share the link in the show notes for you. So you can see the need for a multidisciplinary team of experts to push this forward for the sake of better patient outcome. Uh, Today's guests are doing just that. So let me introduce them uh, to you guys. Dr. Lucas uh, Berenbrock is a pharmacist educator and a researcher at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He co-led the implementation of outpatient pharmacogenomic services at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. This unique service called Primary Care Precision Medicine provides pharmacogenomics and genetic testing to patients in local and surrounding areas. And with his colleague at the University of Pittsburgh, Berenbrock co-created Test to Learn TM, which is a pharmacogenomics certificate program for pharmacists. We also have Dr. Netta Leonard, a CEO of RxGeneIQ, and she's dual board certified pharmacist in pharmacotherapy and geriatrics. So OMG, what a beautiful combination. But let me tell you why that's valuable. According to the Board of Pharmacy Specialties, as of 2019, there were only 600 pharmacists worldwide with that type of dual board certification. And as you know, I love geriatrics and that's my niche. So I'm really grateful for Netta working with that population. She has experience in various settings such as program for all-inclusive care for elderly, they call it PACE, P-A-C-E, where she uses her expertise in medication management and PGX. She's also a seasoned speaker 
locally and nationally on various subject matters, such as obviously PDX and polypharmacy. She's published in Drug Metabolism Reviews and was featured in the Consultant Pharmacist Journal. Currently, she uh, partners with a group of geriatricians, internal medicine physicians, using a collaborative practice agreement for patients living independently in assisted living facilities and skilled nursing facilities as well. So she has many tools in her toolbox to use, such as pharmacogenomics, the prescribing, geriatric medication optimization, Part D comprehensive medication management or CMR, target medication review, they call it TMR, and working with various insurance, uh, private insurances such as United Healthcare and Optum. So thank you both for taking time uh, out of your both busy schedules to come to our podcast in the hope to educate us on why each of your programs has made such an impact. It's great to see both of you educating on the topic of uh, PGX, of course, and Dr. Brent Brock, the platform to learn and focus on the community where people have the greatest, greatest access to pharmacists. And then Dr. Leonard in geriatrics population alongside providers ahead of them picking up their uh, medications. So Dr. Brent Brock, is there anything that I missed that you want to share about yourself today? I know I did a literally big introduction, but I just want to make sure. Is there anything you want to share with us today about what you're doing? Thank you so much for the introduction. It was very comprehensive and I'm very flattered. And I'm really <laughs> excited to be here to talk more about what we do here in, in, in Pittsburgh, how we're educating um, providers and how we're educating pharmacists and how we're using PGX to take better care of patients. Yes, thank you. So can you tell us about the um, primary care precision medicine service and the test to learning educational platform and how you decide to get involved in that? My journey through um, pharmacogenomics, I think is a, a little bit unique in the fact that I don't have specialized training in PGX. I'm trained as a community pharmacist and um, that's always been kind of my first love and passion to take care of people where they live and they work and they thrive. Um, and I did that by doing a uh, community-based residency after I finished my PharmD. And then whenever I returned to Pittsburgh um, as a faculty member, I got linked up with some colleagues here at the School of Pharmacy. Um, Phil MV is our pharmacogenomics guru and lead. And we started working on Test to Learn, which is an educational platform to teach pharmacists and other healthcare providers about pharmacogenomics using um, your own DNA, your own genomics, um, and kind of leveraging the fact that when you work with your own data, you learn a little bit better and it kind of sticks with you a little bit more. And so we realized that, hey, we wanted a, a very unique target audience to help kind of um, accelerate the implementation of this into usual care. And so we built along with a, um, a grant from NACDS Test to Learn, and we, we created a certificate program out of that. Um, I was really excited to help out with that because I have this community-based um, skill and expertise. And so I, you know, dove head in and learned a lot about pharmacogenomics along the way. And that ultimately ended up with me leading our outpatient deployment of pharmacogenomics within the UPMC health system here in Pittsburgh, PA. And that's through our primary care precision medicine clinic. 
Well, that's really awesome. Um, that that is because the community pharmacy is really uh, a place to have that Im- implemented, especially since that's the number one place uh, patients go to pick up. So that that's really great. Um, Dr. Leonard, can you tell us more about the benefits, um, what you're doing first and how you got there and how you're using um, chronic care management and um, all these tools that you have in your toolbox along PGX for your patients and um, why you did that? Oh, Benos, thank you so much for the great introduction. And I have to tell you, this first question you start with is perhaps the best question you have for me. I believe it's um, CCM, which is called chronic care management. For those of you that maybe just getting to know the chronic care management is fascinating. And I encourage every pharmacist out there to get more involved. We really, really can do this job. And we're equipped with all of our uh, training to get this going. Um, the chronic care management for just a little bit of a background, it's really supposed, supposedly um, called connected care, which, uh, but that it means that we're connecting the patients that have complicated needs. Their, uh, Medicare came up with this program to support patients with two or more chronic illnesses uh, that is including asthma and so forth and COPD, um, chronic you know, uh, cardiac issues and so forth. But uh, bottom line is that these are the patients that fall off just because we don't have the continuum of care. And it's uh, uh, no one's fault. It's just that the, our system is pretty complicated and uh, patients are told something, the follow-up may fall apart and, um, and um, the patient will come back with multiple uh, comorbidities that require a lot more attention that we can provide with uh, every six months visit. So this is a once a month visit with me. I'm very lucky. I get to really know my patients and, um, and it can be uh, via, you know, any sort of a communication, but that's a little about chronic care. Now your question, uh, Benaz, is how we can bring this chronic care management and tie it with uh, pharmacogenomics and why are there, if they are a nice match, in my opinion, they're really nicely matched. And as a matter of fact, that's precisely why I brought it uh, uh, to the chronic care management uh, program that I started for um, uh, practitioners here in our town. Um, I work with seven wonderful practitioners that uh, do the first job, and the foremost important job of diagnosis, and then they send these patients to me. The reason this is this is a great match with the PGX are actually a kind of multi multifaceted. I have to talk about three things in once. Starting with the first one is that we often, with chronic care management, go straight to guidelines. So we have cholesterol guidelines. So we have diabetes guidelines. And those are what uh, Dr. Bernbrock and I work with daily, and we struggle with daily to keep up. But that is one way, one way to look at it. The guidelines are one way to say, yes, we've done some studies out there with some population, and it's been great. But to really truly personalize and um, uh, to bring pre- precision medicine to the patient, we really ought to have to inf- kind of bring in this infusion of this uh, pharmacogenomic with the chronic care management. Now, why is that so important in the world of chronic care management? It's because of the complexity that I spoke about. Often we, with, the, uh, with our patients, we have a huge polypharmacy. As a matter of fact, I don't, I don't ever get, get a very nice, clean patient. If I get somebody with five or six medications, on board, then I just kind of wonder. Um, and so it's always 12 or more medications on board. It's always a lot of uh, you know colorful things that come out of me with the gene-drug interaction, drug-drug interaction, and so forth. 
But with the gene drug interactions, it's not as clear as we know it's a new science. Um, we've been taught that the drug-drug interactions for years, but the, the pharmacogenomics is now new. Now, so it is our job in the, in the healthcare team, and I really, really strongly um, emphasize this statement, uh, to let everybody know about this new science. You know, for example, one of my colleagues mentioned one time, nicely, MRI once was a new uh, tool. We didn't know much about it. Um, and we thought, okay, it's a diagnostic tool. Um, and we were kind of skeptic about using it. This is way back. I've been a pharmacist for 20 years, so I'm sorry if I'm um, bringing out my age, <laughs> aging pharmacy career. But it's um, but now th these days, MRI is a is a is a significant di diagnostic tool. So imagine if we would have just ignored that diagnostic tool altogether, we wouldn't have been able to bring that to our patients. Right. Why this is such a good infusion. And lastly. It is a good infusion between um, pharmacogenomic and chronic care management because the reimbursement of pharmacogenomic is poorly, as all of us know, is not very good at this moment. It is changing, and mm -hmm. I, I believe in changes, but right now the uh, reimbursement is not so good. So if you bring that in with this collaborative practice agreement and with all this chronic care management that is backed up already, then we can support that reimbursement. So you said it's once a month. So what in what setting are you doing the chronic care management? Does it have to be in the um, the practice setting of the uh, clinician? They, the patient has to see the clinician once a month and you're there? Or can that be done where um, uh, Dr. Brennanbrock can do it in the community pharmacy, perhaps? I, I don't know if that's even, can, can that be well, done? Well, uh, so in I don't know, I can't speak for every state, but in Colorado, we fought uh, pretty hard to get this collaborative practice agreement uh, passed. And so what we have is we have, there are a few um, stipulation to be, for example, in the community setting, I'm not sure if it would be possible in a way because uh, right now, uh, the providers I work with, um, I do communicate with them in the same EHR. I am, I see them often as well as I can, I know exactly how to get a hold of them. So if there is, a, a, again, this is about connect, connecting the care of the patient. So it'd be a little harder, but it's possible. And I'm hoping that this would um, go around and do it. And again, chronic care management is to be developed, but, but it is the, the essential part of it is the connection of care. And I'm not sure if you not have access to the actual, for example, if I do see some, some uh, statin that is, inappropriate for the patient and if I'm about to change it to a different you know dose or so forth then I have to be able to get a hold of that prescriber and I'm and the prescriber has a, and I also have to be able to get a hold of the EHR and really back up my um, uh, argument of yes uh, you know LDL was this and that was that so I'm not sure if all of that is at the fingertip of our amazing and awesome community pharmacist but at some point it would be yeah that, that's true. So um, I'm going to call you guys by your first name, if that's okay, so we can get more personal. Um, so, but Lucas, so do you, how do uh, some, how does someone go and sign up to this educational platform to start learning about PGX? Is it was a test to learn, right? How does someone do that? Do you have to have a certain qualification? Well, obviously you got to be a pharmacist, I'm assuming, um, you know, what, what does that involve? Um, I'm just trying to put the two together and figure out um, how, if Netta is in um, outpatient setting and you're in community and you have this, you guys have this educational platform, I'm trying to like 
see how does can both of them work together um but anyway um trying to figure out how you can sign up to the test to learn what are the qualification you must have what does that look like if you can kind of tell us more about that i think our special sauce with the test to learn platform is that it's really open for anybody um the the continuing education credits are very specific to pharmacists but we've had um, lab technicians go through the program um, other non-pharmacist scientists go through the, the program so they can learn more about what PGX is and how it can help um, people with their medications and their, their health outcomes. Really easy to sign up. We have um, a great website, which is a landing page where you can find upcoming programs and you can sign up for um, a session. There's a home study that you would do on your own time through a learning management system. And then there is a live portion, which we've been doing um, on Zoom um, since the COVID-19 pandemic, which makes it really accessible and easy for everyone to attend. Um, and it saves you a trip to um, a city that's hosting um, an event. Mm -hmm. And then we also have registered providers. So these are trained trainers who um, offer the program all throughout the United States. You can see dates in which they offer the program too. And um, we feel very confident that those are also great teachers. They may be closer to you in your area, or they might be in your state where they can help you uh, navigate more specific questions about collaborative practice agreements and reimbursement and billing. But there's lots of different ways to sign up for uh, participating in the program. So also, sort of like a mentor, you mean? Sort um, of like they're, they'll teach you um, the live portion of the program, mm -hmm. but they can weave within that program a little bit more about the state-specific laws and regulations, and they could definitely be available to you after you complete the certificate. Okay. So that something comes to mind with that. So when someone's done with the program, uh, obviously they've they're well educated at this point, and wherever um, they're going to go use it. Do you keep track of? Um, the outcomes that you produce based on, let's say you had 50 people sign up last month, they all graduated and they're doing their own thing. It could be a lab tech, like you said, or a pharmacist or genetic specialist or even a provider. So do you kind of follow, do you guys follow up to see what they did with that information they learned and how do they use that within their practice and uh, how that um, information kind of made an impact? Um, I'm not sure if uh, you guys follow up on that, or if that's even a thing to do to see what impact the program has, perhaps? We don't follow up on how it impacts patient care. I think that'd be a fascinating thing to take a look at moving forward to see how our learners and the trainees are applying what they've learned from test to learn to their own patient practice. But the one thing that's really cool about the program is since it lives online in a learning management system, um, the materials are very enduring. And when we make updates, any learner can get that update. It doesn't matter if you took it five years ago when we first launched it, or um, if you're taking it last month, as soon as there's a new module or a new CPIC guideline or some more resources, you'll have access to that. And so we try to make it really easy for our learners to continue uh, engage with the information. Um, and we also make sure that's very competency-based so that you feel like you um, leave with the skills necessary uh, to do and to feel confident um, incorporating pharmacogenomics into your, into your practice. 
That, that's really great because I know there's updates. Um, I don't want to say all the time, but there's updates. So that's really great. Um, it's it's the one uh, one of the many professions, pharmacy, um, that where there's always updates. It's continuous learning all the time. So that's really great. Um, so Neda, can you um, tell us where do you see PGX mostly used? Is it? I know you're in the long term care and with internal medicine, I guess. But do you see it more in the which setting, I guess, do you see it more? Say, there's psychiatry, there's primary care, there's long-term care. Uh, where do you see that more used? So what I, um, my, I don't want to really put the, the different settings in healthcare in different buckets, just because they're all interconnected. And also the, every setting differs. It's like a sort of our, our precision medicine. Every setting is, has this own personalized way of going about things. So I want to really um, give some characters to a setting that could be very successful for pharmacogenomics, in my opinion. And um, I believe working in this setting, for example, I worked in PACE setting, could be very, very successful in a PACE setting because it's a closed system, because it's value-based, and it is, uh, it's an unbelievable setting. It's a very good ground for this to develop. Um, however, they're not all settings are as perfect as PACE setting. So as I moved uh, out, and I also worked for 12 years in the hospital, so hospital could be a very good setting for this pharmacogenomic. I don't think we mentioned that, but uh, we know that just recently there was an, um, there's a publication implementing uh, competency pharmacogenomics in the community hospital setting, which is where I was. So when I read that, I, I totally agree that it could be a great ground if it is uh, integrated, uh, if it's fully integrated in their EHR, if there is some um, uh, you know ways to actually figure out who really enjoys can can improve their medication management by coming and doing the pharmacogenomic. That's another step. So all of that could be uh, developing in the EHR setting uh, of a, um, a setting, a setting such as that. But where I am, so I'm going to bring the whole circle back to where I am. I'm in a primary care setting. And as you mentioned, I do uh, serve people in the uh, in the area, you know, in all sort of setting, all continuum of care, assisted living to all, all the way back to everywhere else. Also, the people that are out there in the community that are my private private patients coming to me saying, I want to test because, um, for example, just this, this week, I had someone who wanted to test mom because uh, mom is having some, uh, 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 you know, the behavioral issues with the dementia um, that is uh, threatening their her setting. So with that said, I believe the best setting um, in the primary in, in the primary setting would be kind of still coming back to that setting that we can provide that communication. So the information can be out there, and but it's our job to give that information, give it out. As a matter of fact, uh, there are now laws that say if we don't give out information and keep it, hold it all to ourselves, then that we are liable for that, as you already may have heard. So this is really our job to figure out if there's a drug First of all, what patient can really benefit from this? And to do that, you really need information. You can't just look at a list of uh, medication and decipher that. Maybe you can, but that's pretty tough. Um, and so in, in the best setting for this would be a setting that provides pharmacists with the most information. And that would be you know, the primary care hospital, as well as um, um, I think it would be very challenging to just walk into, for example, assisted living when you don't have um, uh, access to their EHR, and if you don't have access to also physicians that um, provide care to those assisted living residents. 
That, that's a great point because that was one of my other questions I had about the EHR program or the e, uh, EM, you call it EMR or EHR, whichever way they, they call it. If you have access to that, you have access to a lot more patient information that maybe um, uh, the community pharmacy doesn't have. And so that was my question for Lucas is since you're more focused in the community and you, you know, are, the platform doesn't have those information, uh, what do you think the limitation of the patient information will have and a potential solution uh, for that potentially, if there is any, um, not sure. That's one of the things I love most about working in family medicine and being trained in community pharmacy is that I've seen kind of this interplay from both sides. So now that I'm in a family medicine clinic, working alongside of a primary care physician, I get to order or enter orders in the EHR and send those orders as prescriptions to the community pharmacy. When I was a community pharmacist, I got to see those come over and um, kind of say, hey, I wish things worked differently or I wish the provider would put this in this e-script so that I had more information. So whenever I'm um, doing PGX and um, we're modifying medications with the physician, and I think something um, is relevant for the dispensing pharmacist to know, I like to put that in, uh, in the notes field because I know that that was me, you know, five, six, seven years ago, wishing that I had a little bit more. But I think we can go further than that. And I think that um, an integration between the dispensing software and EHRs um, really needs and should happen. And it is happening in some places of the country. And so that exists beyond PGX data. That's lab data, diagnosis codes, problem lists, um, reviewing um, notes written by the healthcare team. Um, but I think it would be really great if our decision support that's informed by pharmacogenomics data can exist beyond the EHR and that information can flow back to dispensing software so that community pharmacists, when they're doing those really, really important checks for safety mm -hmm. and when they're doing drug-drug interaction checks and they're reviewing the DUR alerts, that they can have extra information to make sure that the medication that they're dispensing and giving and educating to that person in front of them um, is going to give that person the best chance for feeling better and decreased chance for side effects. I, I totally agree. That's I think that's much needed because that's where kind of the last stop, or I shouldn't say we, uh, the community pharmacists are the last stop where a patient actually picks up a medication. So those alerts are really important. Um, I have also heard of alert fatigue because sometimes it can be a lot, a lot of alerts popping up in any software. So do you have thoughts on that? Or um, since you're all, always in the community pharmacy, if you were to receive alerts and multiple of them, either on the same patient or on multiple patients all day, all, all the time, what does that look like? Or what is the alert fatigue that uh, comes up with people that they talk about? Yeah, I think alert fatigue is a, is a real problem in that you know, as we gather more information and more evidence that pharmacogenomics is useful and helpful and more guidelines are published by CPIC, um, that we're going to get more and more alerts. Um, when you look at estimates of the amount of people who have or who are using a medication that has a pharmacogenomic recommendation or a guideline, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty high. And so once these things start going, you know, we might have alerts going everywhere, but I think they're novel enough and CPIC does a great job in linking it to evidence, um, giving prescribing recommendations, um, 
providing some example CDS text, that it's going to really catch the eye of pharmacists and other providers. And I think this is the type of information that providers, when they prescribe, and pharmacists, um, when they prescribe or dispense, would want to know. And so I think that this is something that um, is going to catch people's eyes. I should um, put in a quick plug for an NCPDP working group that's working on um, helping to push some of this data to the dispensing system in, in a kind of DUR alert. So um, this is a shameless plug for people who are interested in interoperability and how um, electronic health tools work, that um, they should um, take a look at the great work that NCPDP is doing with this. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, that Netta, you agree with the same thing. If um, there's more integration of that information, the pharmacy platform, that would help you on the other side um, as well with your patients that you're treating that's out in the community. Absolutely. He couldn't have said it better. Thank you for summarizing it so well. I want to add one extra thing uh, with um, uh, it, it has been my passion to uh, make sure that uh, that this information that we have in different settings does not, not get dissolved. So back, um, I'd say about 10 years ago, we did a project, um, uh, 12 of us, 12 pharmacists in Colorado, we did uh, get involved in a pilot project called Carillo, um, and now it's actually a statewide um, uh, information connectivity, I'd say it's stands for Colorado Health um, uh, Integrations uh, Platform for everybody. So for example, if we have somebody who goes uh, to an um, eye clinic and gets an eye drop, uh, but she happens to reside in an assisted living and is getting taken care of by our geriatric clinic. And we want to know, I don't know why we want to know about the eye, eye drop, but if we do want to know, it's just an example, then it would be a possibility uh, to take a look at Korea which is this Colorado uh, integration project uh, to see if that is um, um, something that we need to know. And But why do I bring this up? I bring this up because this would be a great platform uh, for passing along pharmacogenomics. And as a matter of fact, that pilot project um, uh, came about just to get some ideas from pharmacists of how to go about putting those pharmacogenomic biomarkers uh, in that platform. So then all of a sudden that would be at the fingertip of a, a community pharmacy as well as uh, somebody who sees somebody in a different clinic and, 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 and so forth. So that is, that, that is truly like a, a dream uh, come true for all of us, but I sure hope that will happen. Yeah, I'm sure it's just, it's just a matter of time before that catches up. Um, so what would you say, uh, Netta, to other pharmacists listening, uh, wherever setting they may be in a community, in a hospital setting that are not in PGX space just yet, but want to get there? What, what, what would you say, I guess, to your younger self or, or to other pharmacists that want to kind of um, uh, follow in your footsteps and do kind of something similar that you're doing with their patients? Um, I would say... Uh figure out your potential in a way that um, figure out what you're, what really you are interested in, in what setting you're interested in. For example, what uh, I, as I said, I worked for 12 years in the hospital, but then I uh, over and over, I saw uh, the medications that brought people to the hospital. And then I wanted to do that little jump to the other side. So prevent this from happening, prevent patients from coming to the hospital, hospital um, emergency room. And that's just coincided with the, with the time where we are 
um, all value-based models were coming up. So get involved in the value-based would be my, my advice to whoever, because that is the future. As you know, next year, um, where the physicians are getting more squeezed, the practitioners are getting more squeezed for uh, the, the fee-for-service fee. Again, I think it's 3-4% decrease. I can't uh, quite know exact, but uh, with different CPTs, they're squeezing more profit out of uh, fee-for-service. So the future will be value-based, in my opinion, and, and we are well-fitted to get involved. We can decrease those emergency room um, admission, you know, hospitalization or emergency room visits. And those are what our healthcare system is asking everybody to do. And we can be uh, very valuable if you start doing that. But do not forget that at the, with that, if you ever do get involved, do not forget to show your value. And showing your value is what Ben Oz just mentioned. You have to keep track of your outcome. So wherever you are, whatever mm -hmm. you do, if you are told uh, to do any outcome-based, please take keep track of it and please bring it back to the team. Yeah, and and really knowing the the clinical and the science behind PGX is really key because uh, uh, that's that's also key, right? Learning, going to test to learn, learning that concept first, the the science of it, and then kind of trying to practice it in, in the setting, and hopefully have a mentor along with that to help you because it's it's not easy. It's a whole different language to learn and. Uh, put it alongside medications and patients and interactions. So that that's um, that's a journey. Um, so I have to come back to Lucas now. I say, ask you the same question. What advice would you give for pharmacists that maybe in a community setting um, that would want to kind of uh, do something similar, um, do something different in their community setting and provide different level of care for their patients? What um, advice would you give them or pharmacy students? I always like the advice of being a leader of pharmacogenomics. I think pharmacists, um, we as pharmacists are really well positioned to lead the implementation of pharmacogenomics in all practice settings. We have the knowledge, the expertise. And, you know, pharmacogenomics does so much more than just looking and interpreting a specific um, gene and going from a genotype to a phenotype. You also have to look at drug-drug interactions. You also have to look at the, the pathway, know what's a prodrug and know what's an active metabolite. And then take into account everything else, renal clearance and um, liver function and height and weight. And so I think this is very much our special sauce. I think that um, pharmacists are prepared for this. Do you need a couple extra hours of education maybe to um, refresh or to gain a little bit more knowledge on um, what CPIC is and how to interpret guidelines? Maybe. Um, but we already know kind of how to um, take care of patients, how to critically review drug regimens, how to make sure that drugs are safe and effective and convenient for people to use. And so I just want to empower people to know that the bar is really low for us to get involved and to learn more and to do more with pharmacogenomics. Yeah, I, I agree. The bar is low because we already have all the sciences. We learn the pharmacokinetics, the dynamics, um, you know, the brown bag, as we used to do it in school. Um, but the genetic piece of it, obviously, is, is a different, um, you know, all those uh, genes that you have to study and how that plays with uh, 
medications and outcomes of patients. And now you have a chronic conditions and drug drug interactions. So there's lifestyle factors, there's epigenetics. So, so it can really get uh, big and broad. Um, but yeah, I would have to read the, the basics we do have. Uh, and we're really, pharmacists are really best positioned for this uh, role for sure. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you both um, coming on the podcast, spending some time with us. I don't want to take you guys away more from your patients that um, you guys are both treating. You guys are both very busy, but I appreciate both as what you're doing in, in each of your settings, especially um, the education behind uh, PGX, because I'm, I'm really focused on that all the time. Um, is there anything you guys would like to share to our audience before um, I let you guys go uh, for your patience? I want to add one more thing, and I think uh, my yes. co-presenter said this very nicely, but I <laughs> just want to add this to a little bit more on that uh, one um, very unique quality that we have as pharmacists, and that would be if you mean many unique, but the one that you're going to touch on, the one that I'm going to talk about, <laughs> yes. but the, the unique ways that we are really, really strategically can place ourselves in a healthcare team would be what I think um, is already been kind of touched upon, but it's that phenoconversion. conversion. If you haven't, um, uh, yes, Nana, no, no, thank the, you. The, the, in the world of polypharmacy that I exist, I see that multiple times every day, and I see that missed multiple times every day. So it's like. Uh, something that we can really, really be um, aware of, and that is when we declutter those pathways. So if you haven't haven't touched on that, I invite you to. Yes, you may get a pharmacogenomic report, and yes, you might see that somebody's, for example, 2D6, 2D6 um, poor metabolizer. But what does that really mean is in the context of that phenoconversion? What else is coming at that one pathway? that the patient is lacking or very strong at and how is that genetic is really transferred into what the patient is really phenotypically um, presenting to the clinic. So that is one place that I, I believe that pharmacists can truly shine and in a way that they can decipher information in this way, in this phenoconversion world. That's a great point because we, um, you know, pharmacists, we, they get the um, report and whatever lab you pick, this really doesn't matter. You have a report that comes out, but not, um, you might not see that on a simplistic report. So th that's why I always go back again to the science of PGX, understanding how that plays a role with your patients, with all the other medications they're on. And if they're smoking or drinking, all those things, I think that is really key that you touched on understanding it outside of that piece of paper you're looking at, you still have to understand to how to put them together. It's like you have all the puzzle pieces, but then how do you put them together and make a, a good solid um, decision um, to help the patient alongside your clinician? So those are the things I was saying, you really may not be able to get that from um, a, a CE program or something like that. It, it has to be more, uh, learned, seen, and then unless you have, but there are so many, I shouldn't say that as a default, but there's so many other programs out there that go into depth and there's a whole year program, there's a master's in PGX, but yes, understanding these little, um, they're not little, but I'm saying it could be hidden. I think that's why they call it um, blind spot of PGX at some point, because it really has to be looked for and digged and to be able to see it. So I think people know the concept, but they may not be familiar with the term. So if you just look it up, uh, you'll see a lot of things will come up. I appreciate you bringing that up, Nada. Great point there. It really is. And then I love how your example 
really highlights pharmacists as the medication experts, and that's our identity. And I think pharmacogenomics does that too for us. It, it shows to others, to patients, most importantly, but to other healthcare professionals that we have the most knowledge when it comes to medications and that we're really integral to the interprofessional team. Lucas, that's a great point. So with that comes, we have to stay humble and we have to stay vulnerable to this power. And what I mean by that is that we really ought to have to bring out be very, very honest with our team of what we know and what we don't know. So with that is comes, you know, the team looks at us with respect to give, give them evidence. So to me, it makes a lot of sense to tell them this evidence is um, not well supported, but that evidence has been all over the literature. And so whatever I say, I tell my providers, I say, you can rest assured, whatever I say, it comes from somewhere with great evidence. So you ask me, you quiz me on anything I tell you because I will, will tell you. And with that comes the power of being vulnerable to saying that I don't know. I don't know all of this, but I'm willing to provide you with what I know. And what I know at this moment of time is this, that the, the science is developing. There's a lot coming out. There's more ge genetic biomarkers coming out. Like Lucas said, they can be found on CPIC and so forth. And I am continuing to learn. For example, I'm, I'm staying humble. I'm, we're taking the uh, University of Minnesota is where I um, graduated from, Go Gophers. And I, I proudly announced to my providers that I do take this biannual education with them just to make sure I can keep up, that, that not all is known, that this is a science that is a 10-year you know, science, and I, we're all learning about it. And with that, they really do respect that. I believe if you come I was just strong, about to say that. Yeah, you gain, you gain more respect with that. Yeah, you guys are both on, yep. on it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, stay humble. And but we are we are definitely the the people that are out there. We know the most about it. Mm -hmm. But we also have to really put in a perspective and a framework that they do respect. Yes, definitely. Lucas said the best. We are experts in that field. So that is great. Well, I appreciate you both. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, really great. Uh, whatever you guys are doing, what you're doing is really great. I appreciate you both. Again, like I said with Neda, because I have a niche with geriatrics population. I'm so excited you're taking on that role because um, they're really not a lot of geriatric um, experts out there, whether it's a clinician or it's a pharmacist, they're, they're not a lot. So um, I appreciate you taking on that role. It's um, they're all on multiple medications. So this is great. Thank you both. Uh, and thank you lis uh, for listening um, to the Continuing Education Division of Pharmacy Podcast Network, which is powered by Convey Med. Make sure you don't miss any episodes by subscribing to Convey Med Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcast. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here, the science, the business, the reimbursement piece of PGX. So don't forget to leave us a review and let us know what you um, want to hear, hopefully on the next episode. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.